June 25th, 1530. Dr. Christian Beyer at 3 p.m. stood, walked toward the emperor, and began to read the Augsburg Confession in a loud and distinct voice. He said, Most serene, most mighty, invincible emperor, most gracious lord, a short time ago your imperial majesty graciously summoned an imperial diet to convene here in Augsburg. Windows were opened, and the crowds in the courtyard could listen. And listen, they did. They hung on every word. Two hundred people were in the hall. Hundreds were outside. Chancellor Christian Meyer of Elector John's government, he read the German text to the assembly, and his voice carried its words into the street outside. In accord with imperial instructions, Philip Melanchthon had also prepared a Latin version of the confession that was handed over to Charles at the same time. This is Grace on Tap. I'm Mike Yeagley. And I'm Evan Gertner. Grace on Tap is a podcast uh, devoted to the history, the documents, and the times of the Lutheran Reformation. Uh, it's a conversation that Mike and I have all over a nice cold beer. So the Augsburg Confession, uh, I, I think most Lutherans are familiar with it. There might be a few non-Lutherans listening in. So let's. the Augsburg Confession came about uh, as the opening there went into uh, the, the, there were a lot of discussions and accusations against the Lutherans, uh, and they called themselves the evangelicals, I think, at that time. Yeah. Um, and and uh, they, uh, that they needed to address. And so the Augsburg Confession was an attempt uh, by the Lutherans to go and present to the emperor their beliefs in, a, in an orderly fashion that showed that they were aligned with the historic faith. It was important for the Lutherans to show they were not starting a new religion. So the Augsburg Confession is written uh, from a tone of unity. Uh, and we're going to kind of place the Augsburg Confession in some of the timeline of the Reformation now. The Augsburg Confession was presented as a confession of the truth of God's holy word. And they, that was important for the Lutherans, that they, they didn't want to just have it be uh, this thing that only argued about the things that were in conflict. In fact, the first 21 articles are about the things that they think every Christian should hold together. Articles 22 through 28, those are the things that are more in dispute. So let's put it into a little timeline. October 31st, 1517. So October 31st, 1517 is when Martin Luther famously uh, nailed his uh, 95 theses to the, to the church door in Wittenberg, asking for all comers to, to argue with him on these points. Those, those points, the, those 95 theses were taken down and distributed throughout all of Europe. And within two weeks, uh, people in France, people all over the, the, the Western world were aware of what was in those 95 Theses, and they immediately saw that this was a direct attack on uh, a lot of, the, uh, a lot of the, the, the core principles or the perceived core principles of the, of the Roman Catholic Church. And so the medieval Catholic Church, uh, indulgences, repentance, and the authority of Pope all being challenged. Then the Diet of Worms, 1521. Luther stood before the emperor and gave his famous Here I Stand speech. Uh, we discussed this in an earlier episode, but this is that defining moment for Luther because after the Diet of Worms, he is declared an outlaw. 
And for the purposes of the Augsburg Confession, he was not able to attend the diet in Augsburg. So uh, right after that, Luther was stolen away. He was, there were those who, uh, who felt that for his own good, and they were probably right, uh, they put him in the, in the castle, and, and he sort of hid out for quite a while. And then, uh, and then he came out and, and remained safe there in Wittenberg uh, for pretty much, I think, Wittenberg and the surrounding area uh, for, pretty, for the rest of his life. Yeah, so where Frederick the Wise was and then Elector John and Magnanimous and the Steadfast, those two Johns, they kept Luther safe. In terms of the timeline of interaction between the Holy Roman Empire and Luther, the next thing that comes up after the Diet of Worms in 1521 is the Diet of Speyer in 1526. Now, the Diet of Speyer, we did not talk about that in our podcast, and we probably, you know, maybe we'll, we'll double back on that someday, but... Uh, this was a moment of strength for Lutheran princes. And uh, the, so the Lutheran princes at that time were given the right to arrange religious matters in their own territories. And that was huge. The, uh, the, There's more strength for the Lutheran position. And so there, Charles V has to compromise. Yes, yes. And, and so, so, so between, they, they can protect. They, they, the, Charles V gives them the right to protect Luther and other, and the other Lutherans. And, and so if you're in Italy and you're a Lutheran, well, things aren't going to go so well for you. But if you're a Lutheran there in, in, the, the, in, in, in the area of Wittenberg and uh, Thuringia, then you're, you're doing great. But three years later, Lutheran princes do not have such a strong position. 1529, there is a second diet in Spire, and princes loyal to Rome have reversed the concessions that were made in 1526. And in 1529, at the Diet of Spire, Lutheran reformers and other reforming movements protested this reversal and became known as Protestants. So it's in 1529 that the name Protestant is attached to those who are opposing Rome. So the reversal at the Diet of Spire in 1529 set up the need for the Lutherans to present their position as a thoroughly biblical stance in order to avoid being called heretics. And, and I, you know, I did do a little bit of reading on this, and uh, our, uh, we, we talked a lot about John Eck, and, and you know, he was very active in this period, uh, leading up to uh, the Augsburg Confession, spreading all sorts of, because there were many, what Luther called, what Martin Luther called the enthusiasts, mm -hmm. and uh, people like, uh, you know, that, that were, you know, taking the opening that Luther had made, uh, the biblical opening and going extra biblical, having all sorts of crazy ideas, um, and uh, there, we we talked about that in the in the Peasants' War, and, and all, you know there was a lot of that going on. And this became hard for the Lutherans because Eck is now writing in a way that is taking all of the Protestants as one bundled group, and if one thing's wrong with one of them, it gets attached to all of them. And so it becomes fundamental for the Lutherans to figure out how do we clearly state what we are and what we are not. So that's, that leads us up to uh, June 25th, 1530, which is the, the presentation of the Augsburg Confession to, to Charles V. And that is pretty much, I, I, would, I would agree that it is just as important 
as the, the 95 Theses. This is a major turning point. So Lutherans should know the date, October 31st, 1517. We have the Reformation. We sing a mighty fortress is our God. Uh, we have Oompa dances, whatever it is. We have a lot going on in 1517. We also should be recognizing June 25th, 1530, because this is the date when Lutherans stand up and say, this is what it means to be the church. So we have to go back. We did talk about the fall of Rhodes in 1522. We had some episodes when we were talking about our friend uh, Pope Adrian VI, the failed pope, mm -hmm. uh, a two-year pope who was not able to get the, uh, the, the three princes, Francis, Charles, and Henry, uh, Henry VIII of, of, uh, of England, Francis I of France, and Charles V of, of Germany and Spain, couldn't get them to work together. And those, those three were fighting amongst themselves while, while Adrian VI saw the, the da danger of the Turks and the fall of Rhodes. Well, because he couldn't coordinate those three, Rhodes fell. And when Rhodes fell, if you look at a map and look at the Isle of Rhodes, it is right there uh, near the Turkish, Turkish um, uh, coast. And it's a perfect place uh, to, to really cause a lot of problems for the Turks. Well, once the Isle of Rhodes fell, now the, the Turks had nothing to, to fight about, against and they could, they could really... They could advance north much easier. They could advance north much easier. And that's exactly what's happening at this time. So in 1526 in the Diaspire, when Charles V gives a much more, uh, much more latitude to the Lutheran princes, he's doing so because he needs their cooperation uh, to push back against the Turks. But in 1529 at the Diet of Spire, he's got now more cooperation from non-Lutheran princes, and he can essentially say, you guys, I can struggle with you a little bit because I've got these guys cooperating with me. Now we're getting closer to 1530, the Diet of Augsburg, and there is a need for unity again. So there's this roller coaster <laughs> between Charles V needing the Lutheran princes and not needing them. In 1530, he really wants them to be on the same page as him. So Charles V ordered all rulers with the empire to meet in Augsburg. The goal was to settle once and for all the controversies that had caused division in the empire. He wanted unity so that they could face the growing threat of the Turkish armies after the fall of Rhodes in 1522. So in preparation for the Augsburg Confession, uh, Lutheran, uh, we'll say uh, theologians who were sympathetic to the Lutheran position, um, all gathered uh, multiple times uh, to, to work out their beliefs and, and to prepare for the, the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, there was Schwabach, uh, Warburg, and Torgau. Yeah, so we can look at the, the documents that are prepared in these three cities as these leaders of theologians and cities and nobles all meet together to try to prepare their, their notes for what they're going to say in Augsburg, to look at the progression and the beginning of their work was very um, filled with a lot of attack and a lot of, this is what you guys are doing wrong. This is what we're doing right. But as they got closer towards the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, the document takes on much more of a document of unity and trying to show the basis of commonality. And that happens because as they get closer to Augsburg, uh, Charles V is starting to show that he isn't coming to Augsburg with this great sense of controversy. Charles V himself wants unity. 
And so as they met to prepare the Augsburg Confession and as they're getting ready, their first thought is, we got to really like punch them just as much they're going to punch us. But then they realize Charles V doesn't really quite want to do that. And so in, Tar- in Torgau, um, they work together to kind of describe some legitimacy and some explanation for how they're going to uh, be united. So Elector of Saxony, John the Steadfast, uh, hears and understands this word from Charles. Charles says he wants to hear their opinions, their thoughts, and their notions. Uh, that had a sense of invitation that kind of surprised them. So, you know, uh, when, uh, when, when they heard that, John the Steadfast went and asked Martin Luther, Philip Melanchthon, Justice Jonas, and uh, Johann Bugenhagen to meet in Torgau and prepare a statement of confession. And when John the Steadfast received it, uh, he said he was prepared to go to Augsburg. So he left Torgau on April 4th. He arrived in Augsburg May 2nd. And during that trip, they stopped at Coburg. And in Coburg, they dropped off Martin Luther. Martin Luther stays at that castle throughout the time during the Diet of Augsburg. And John the Steadfast had set up a series of messengers that would go back and forth between Augsburg and Coburg. The reason they leave Martin Luther in Coburg is because that's the most south that Elector John's protection ran. I know that they could go as far as Coburg. Okay. And and that's that's the furthest that they felt Luther could be safe. Okay. If they went further than that, uh, they they brought grave risk to Luther. Yeah, there there were... And and like this is sort of the the remnants of that agreement that was uh, from the Diet of Spire of 1526, where there were areas that Luther was somewhat safe. That know? Charles wasn't going to go in to Elector of Saxony's territory and go seize Luther. Right, right. So with this system of couriers uh, between Coburg and Augsburg, there's a lot of conversation that can happen back and forth, but it's always a little delayed, which gets to be hard for Luther. And so we start to see that Philip Melanchthon is really going to become the final editor of what's presented in Augsburg. We're going to take our beer break. So today's beer is uh, Shorts Brews Good Humans. And that's sort of a funny one for the (laughs) Augsburg Confession. Because they're trying to be good. They're trying to be Filled with unity. <laughs> They're trying to be filled with unity. <laughs> on the picture, on the cover, uh, on the on the on the bottle here, it has uh, 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 looks like three uh, three Indian heads, three Indian. Well, like, something like, pagan, maybe. Something but they're, pagan. They're supposed to be uh, passion, passion, wisdom, and humility are the three. Yeah. They look a little alien-like to me they too. Look, uh, the know. one has an has an eye on his forehead. Yeah. Uh, so, but. Uh, it, it's anyway. Good humans. Uh, we'll just go with the Lutheran view of this, which is we're trying not to cause a war. <laughs> yes. Versus the kind of weird-looking faces on there. Good humans is a double brown ale made with Bryce Carabron malt, dry hopped with Simcoe hops, and the brew has a sweet malty aroma that mingles with prominent toasted caramel and toffee flavors. Um, I'm reading from the description uh, from Shorts Brewing. I don't think I. So, I don't taste the toffee. I, I taste the toffee. You have more more sensitive taste than I do. I don't taste the toffee. The the um, I taste how strong it is. The 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 thing <laughs> that I taste is this when and I occasionally will reference that. My goodness, it's been like twenty years since I brewed beer, but this reminds me of when I brewed beer. This is how the whole house smelled when I brewed beer. 
that 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 bouquet of hops that the hops the 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 sugars the everything coming together it's a it's a, a, a it's it, some people like the smell which i do mm-hmm. uh some people don't which is a lot of people <laughs> so a double brown ale means that it's it's strong so this is 8.7% alcohol by volume so that means one bottle 12 ounce bottle is as strong as two beers two yeah two two bud two buds two budweisers yeah, yeah. so yeah, we'll be. Uh, I'll be. I'll be going a little easy on this one. I've got to drive home. So you're not going to finish that class. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so uh, back to Augsburg. Uh, so, so, so the, the we talked a little bit about the system of couriers going back and forth between uh, Coburg and Augsburg. There was that delay, and so at, if you ever take the time to read through the Augsburg Confession. It's really fascinating. At least I thought, it, you know, you take the Augsburg Confession and read that. Take anything from Luther and read that. And it's a dramatic difference. Yeah. Now, the they're not written by the same person. They're, they're not written by the same person. They're, they're not written for the same purpose. You know, Luther is typically reaching out to the common folk. He's trying. To, there's a, he, a lot of them are sermons, sermon based. Even his more technical papers are written so that anybody can read them and understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, the The Augsburg Confession is m- much closer to a systematic theology, uh, which is, uh, um, is more technical. Uh, it has it, it builds. I would say, and you can correct me. When I think of systematic theology, this is sort of where my mind kind goes. of build uh, on the way that sometimes it's described is that you have coat hooks. And you hang on each coat hook something that's important so that all the coat hooks eventually have a coat hanging on them. Right. And so you're, you're addressing those critical questions. Those, those coat hooks, uh, the way I understand it, is each of those coat hooks is a critical question. Like God, original sin, uh, the nature of the church, the sacraments. Do you are you addressing all those code hooks? Do you have something to say about each one of those things? And and so what we have is this this systematic approach that um, that that Melanchthon takes addressing each one. Now this is not a true systematic theology, mm-hmm. but it's you know when when and I don't think they really had systematic theology in in that era. Luther um, really commended to people to read Philip Melanchthon's Loce Communius, uh, which he wrote in 1521, and then he edited many times. And that for him was uh, Loce was like place and and communis. The, the idea of these are the places the community makes, finds common point. And so uh, Loke Communius of Philip Anklin in 1521 is largely a reading through the book of Romans to see how all the main subjects of what we need to know about God in this world and people is covered. I have never read that, by the way. I'm going to have to read that one of these days. So a little detail now about kind of just the logistics of how people are arriving. So John the Steadfast arrives in May 2nd. Charles V and his delegation arrived in Augsburg. The Pope's ambassador stood to give a, a... the assembly, a special blessing from the Pope. So you've got all the electors there. You have Charles V now arrives with his delegation. And so the Pope's ambassador is going to have this grand welcome from the Pope to everyone that's arrived. And everyone kneels when the Pope's ambassador stands up to give this blessing from the Pope, except for the elector 
and all the fellow Lutheran princes. Then later that in the Augsburg Confession time, this presentation at the assembly, there was an opening mass and Elector John and Philip of Hesse did not kneel nor did they cover their heads during the blessing. It was clear to everyone that Augsburg was a city filled with conflict. So that night, Charles is getting nervous. And, and so that night, Charles V, remember, Charles wants unity. And, and his top of mind is addressing the Turkish problem. The Turks coming up uh, the, the Danube River and, and, uh, and attacking um, uh, Hungary. As a matter of fact, just as a sidebar, uh, just a few months ago, I was there in Shekesvehevar, uh, um, Hungary, and uh, saw the old cathedral. It's a ruin now, but it was, it was actually attacked by the Turks in the 1520s, around this time, and, uh, and it was destroyed. Um, and this is, that was the, the place where all the Hungarian kings were crowned prior to that. Uh, and so this is this is right in that era. Right. So in this that is era. real conflict. This is this is yeah, this, this isn't is... just conflict on paper. Charles is trying to prepare the Holy Roman Empire for conflict, and yeah. so he he looks at this kind of this two point not standing when the Pope's ambassador stood up and not kneeling at the mass as signs of of disobedience. And and so and he has something really to be concerned about because. Once the Turks come up through Budapest, they're on up the, the Danube. Up the Danube through Budapest, and uh, then they're on their way to Austria. And once they get to Vienna, you know, then things are. I mean, they're they're working their way into Europe. So and, that night, Charles met with the Lutheran princes, uh, and he asked them not to permit uh, Lutheran uh, Lutheran preaching in Augsburg and to attend the Corpus Christi festival. Now, George, the Margrave of Brandenburg, said that he would rather have his head cut off than let the word of God be taken from him and commanded to deny his God. So the emperor sputtered in broken German because he was, you know, Spanish. He didn't really speak great German. He said, not cut off head, dear prince, not cut off head. Um, And this depth of conviction and courage that was being made clear to Charles kind of surprised him. He didn't realize uh, how much the Lutherans would insist on the freedom to be able to preach God's word. Uh, yeah, and he really did. Uh, I mean, John, Charles. You have to sort of feel for Charles. Uh, you know, I, I I remember when I when I first became a Lutheran, I, I used to hear Lutheran pastors talk. You know, sort of throw shade on on Charles the Fifth that he wasn't very smart, that he was, you know, all sorts of stuff about about Charles. But he had his hands full. You know, and and you know he's doing the best he can, and and. This is sort of a sidebar problem for him. And he sort of is continuing to treat it as one. And, and even this little thing that he's, he's going through here, this was, he, he's looking at this as, you know, we can all get together, can't we? Well, no, not really. Yeah. You know, and, and can't so, you guys just observe the Mass? Can't you guys just come <laughs> to the Corpus Christi Festival? Can't you just do these nice things? And they're like, no, you can't stop the Word of God from being shared. This is what we're here for. Right. And, and, you know, Charles was not, uh, he was not a theologian. He was well-trained in theology, yeah. but he was no, you know, and, and he understood uh, to some degree, I think he understood both sides. But, you know, really, Charles was mostly interested in keeping Europe from becoming Muslim. And keeping it united um, in faith as well. Yeah. And so, so you know, he's, he's looking at this, well, can't you guys give a little bit? You know, can't you just show up to Mass? And when the Lutherans said no, well, that that sort of shocked him a little bit. 
So we're gonna, in future episodes, talk a little bit more about the Augsburg Confession, but here's what I hope from this episode you get. June 25th, 1530 is a really important date.